Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up on this episode of Target USA, a connection between an aircraft that came to Washington and the rebellion in Russia. Now, normally, if you're just sending diplomats out of the country, like Russian diplomats, you just put them on a, a plane. That's Robert Bayer, former CIA operative. By plane, he means a commercial plane, but not a big government airplane. So what's behind this aircraft being in Washington? But if you're moving out equipment, you know, intercept equipment, computers, hard drives, late servers, all that stuff, you'd ask for an airplane. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. A somewhat mysterious plane that landed in Washington on Tuesday has now left. This plane was said to have come here to pick up diplomats to take them back home. But as Robert Bayer, a former CIA covert operative, will tell you, this was kind of odd because typically they would be sent home on a different type of aircraft. He thinks that there was something else at play. Well, I've actually been in a situation where we evacuated an embassy, and that was in Central Asia. And they, uh, the Air Force sent in a C-141 to collect us and our equipment. Now, normally, if you're just sending diplomats out of the country, like Russian diplomats, you just put them on a, a plane, you know, whatever, whatever connection they need to get to Moscow. But if you're moving out equipment, you know, intercept equipment, computers, hard drives, um, you know, blade servers, all that stuff, you'd ask for an airplane. And apparently the State Department has given diplomatic clearance. So they just, they box up all this stuff and they, and they take, they take it out to the airplane, something you probably couldn't get out on a commercial flight. But JJ, keep in mind, this is just sheer speculation at this point. So that said, um, let's look at the factual parts of what you're talking about. Um, they um, have indicated, and the State Department seems to confirm that this was to move diplomats and as you mentioned, normally this happens with commercial airlines. Is 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 it normal when you have a large number of diplomats to move that you move them commercially, or do you move them on a plane like this instead of commercial? 
No, you absolutely do. The, the protocol is they go out commercial. Even if, you know, these, when, when the two sides declare each other persona non grata and send diplomats out of the country, they still leave commercially. The only reason I could figure out you're bringing a plane in is, well, I, you know, it, it, is to get equipment out. Or have the Russians, this is speculation, JJ, have the Russians asked that we draw down our embassy in Moscow and give up certain buildings and things like that. And, and the same way with the Russians. Remember, the Russians have compounds around the United States. They've got stuff in New York. They've got stuff in San Francisco. They have a lot of equipment, antennas. And again, this is speculation. Antennas, they don't want you know, the, the FBI to take a look at. All sorts of things. I can't come up with another explanation. The only other explanation is medical flights, which apparently this was not one. Um, I, I think, you know, frankly, JJ, something is brewing. When you have the New York Times come out and say that a general, a senior general was part of this coup d'etat, this, this attempt, um, the Russians are looking at us trying to destabilize them and they are going to react. If Putin will not let this go. He, he believes, because he's conspiratorial, that we somehow are, are, are helping coordinating these attacks in Russia uh, or the drone attack on the Kremlin. He simply cannot believe that we have nothing to do with it. And I guarantee you we got nothing to do with it, but it's not the way he thinks. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, so, so relations are in the toilet, let's put right. it that way. So, in other words, despite the fact that the president came out and said in a statement, and, and this is kind of curious now, knowing what we know, why he came out and made that statement and why they spent so much time over the weekend trying to make sure that Russia knew that the U.S. didn't have anything to do with this, for Russia to now, as you say, think this way, and I've heard other people say this is exactly how they think and this is what they will think, regardless of what the U.S. says, that the U.S. had something to do with Prigozhin's actions so this, that being said, where does this go from here? This plane, when it leaves, it, it goes back to where it's going to go. Do you think relations between the two countries are at risk? Oh, I think definitely. I think they'll probably close. The, I used to live right, as you know, right behind the Russian mission down by DuPont Circle. That'll probably get closed, um, things like that. We will curtail relations. I don't, you, there's no evidence they're going to be broken off, but they will be severely curtailed um, with Russia destabilized. And there's no other way to look at it than Putin is destabilized his country. He's got a military he can't be sure of, and he's conspiratorial, and he does believe that the United States is behind this. I mean, I, I just I spent too much time in the CIA and know too much intuitively about American foreign policy, that the last thing the United States wants to do is destabilize Russia. It's, it just doesn't want to. This goes way back to, to 91. We yeah. just stayed away from the military, security services. We wanted Russia to succeed. But now Putin it doesn't believe that. I mean, this guy's never lived anywhere. He's always lived in the Soviet bloc. He doesn't yeah. understand the world. So that said, then it looks as though this is maybe unprecedented territory that we're in now. I can't remember the last time a, a diplomatic flight came to Washington to pick up somebody or something. It's been a long time. 
or at least one that's been so public. Uh, and so I just look at these cascading events and you wonder where this is all going. And I don't think Washington doesn't know where it's going. Um, so yeah. it's, 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 it's a fascinating time. So let me ask you this then, um, the situation with the war in Ukraine has done what it's done because of Putin's and Russia's Moscow's decision to invade that country. And they've, you know, suffered mightily Ukraine, but Russia now appears to be in a situation that it didn't intend to, didn't plan on. As you say, the destabilization, you get the sense that Putin's power is being challenged by challenged internally by generals or whoever. I think the situation is so bad in Russia that his days are numbered. You simply don't take a big swipe at his authority, like a column moving on Moscow and, and getting within five or six hours and, and, and any good come out of this. I mean, this never happened, for instance, with Stalin. Um, you know, you had the coup in 91, but that wasn't even a, 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 real, a real coup. It was a fake coup. Um, so I've never seen Russia this bad off, as Putin said, since 1917. What else haven't I asked you about as, as it relates to this do you think is important for us to know? I think the important thing for me is I spent two years with the Russian army off and on going to drills with them when, when relations were good. Is I saw that they had problems with just how hollowed out the Russian military is. Um, I think this came as a surprise to everybody. It came as a surprise to me. I should have known better, but it's a and with a hollowed out military like that, it's more like a, a, a South American junta than it is a true a modern army. All right. Um, the U.S., one thing that's popped into my head since you mentioned that, what should and how does the U.S. intelligence proceed now? Because if there were people that were inside of Putin's Russia, Putin's Moscow, Putin's Kremlin, Kremlin Putin's military that were plotting against him, did the U.S. intelligence know about this, and what should they do with that knowledge? Well, I'm sure that they picked up things on chatter about military movement. Um, Russian comms are not particularly secure, as we now know. They picked up, you know, uh, bits and pieces of this story. But, you know, should there be an effective coup, I would doubt that that military unit would go up on the air. It would communicate with messengers and move quickly uh, and get rid of Putin. That's the way it works. You just you don't you, you don't you don't go up on the air. Very interesting, Bob. Thank you very much, Robert Bayer. Sure. Thank you. The plane left today, Thursday, June 29th, at about eleven. It landed in New York, stayed there for about two and a half, three hours, and then left and headed back to Moscow. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. A part of the reason why this is getting more attention than it normally would is because of what took place in Russia on Saturday, June 24th. This was the aborted rebellion 
by Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Wagner mercenary group that he runs. There are those that think that might have had something to do with this plane being in Washington and in New York later. Um, there are those who thought there might be some breakdown in U.S. relations and some eventual cessation of engagement, which means that there would need to be a wholesale removal of diplomats and equipment, et cetera. So we wanted to find out what the military thought about this. So we spoke with General Pat Ryder, who's the spokesman for the Pentagon, the Pentagon press secretary. And here's here's our conversation. General Ryder, over the weekend, there was what we've been told was either an attempted coup, some call it a revolt, some call it a rebellion, but whatever it was that was taking place, did the Pentagon have the ability to communicate or intend or attempt to communicate with your Russian counterparts? Yeah, thanks, JJ. Uh, So when it comes to channels of communication with Russia, uh, we certainly have a variety of means by which to do that. Um, but as it pertains to the events over the weekend, I don't have any specific uh, readout of any conversations to provide. So is that to say that none took place or you just can't tell us what, what happened? Uh, well, again, from a, from a DOD perspective, Secretary Austin uh, and his senior staff uh, and, and commanders were obviously watching this very closely. Uh, he did not speak with his Russian counterpart. Uh, on this particular matter, um, you know, as as we watched the events unfold, it was something that we were maintaining close uh, contact with allies and partners uh, around the world uh, to to share information. Um, but uh, again, we had nothing uh, to do with the events as they unfolded. Uh, we're not going to have anything to do with the events as they unfolded. It's really an internal Russian uh, matter, but obviously something that we continue to monitor closely. Mm-hmm. How did that event? impact what it is that the Pentagon has been working on achieving with Ukraine and messaging that the Pentagon wants to send to Russia? Again, uh, as it relates to the situation in Russia uh, and the security situation, uh, that's really an internal Russian matter uh, and best for them to address. When it comes to Ukraine, uh, one of the the key aspects of the Secretary's conversations with allies and partners in the region uh, was that our support for Ukraine will uh, remain uh, and will continue to be unwavering. And so that remains our focus. In fact, today we announced the 41st presidential drawdown authorization of additional security assistance worth up to $500 million for Ukraine. We understand they're in a tough fight, and we're going to continue to stand by them as they defend their country and take back sovereign territory. Have you gotten a a different um, type of requests from them? Are they getting more of the same? Because the reason I ask the question is because one of the things I've heard from them is that they're using a lot of lot of lot of material. They're 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 using a lot of 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 weapons, uh, ammunition, and they need more. But are they asking for new, different kinds of things, or is this sort of a resupply? Yeah, so I don't, I don't have anything beyond what we've already announced uh, to highlight or to announce. Uh, as we have done since almost the very beginning of Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, we've met on a monthly basis with leaders from around the world, more than 50 nations, 
uh, as well as Ukraine, to identify what Ukraine's most urgent requirements are, and then worked as an international community to ensure that they get what they need to sustain the fight. And that includes things like ground-based air defense, ammunition, artillery, armor, uh, spare parts, uh, and also importantly, the training that their forces need in order to turn that equipment into uh, combat capability on the battlefield. And so that will continue to be where we focus is on working with them to ensure that we're meeting their most urgent battlefield needs. Yevgeny Prigozhin, if he is in Belarus, does that make Belarus a threat to the U.S. from a, from a military point of view? Uh, I've been hearing today that he's supposedly building uh, some type of um, uh, Wagner structure there. So does that? how does that impact or weigh on the, the Pentagon's view of him and Belarus in terms of the threat matrix? Yeah, so a couple of things there, JJ. So first of all, uh, as it relates to the uh, location uh, or activities of Mr. Prigozhin, I, I don't have anything on that, and nor am I going to speculate. Um, you know, we, we've known for a very long time that Russia and Belarus have a relationship, uh, a security you know, and defense cooperation relationship, so that in and of itself uh, is, is nothing new. Um, when it comes to the defense of NATO, um, you know, we clearly take that very seriously. NATO countries work very closely together uh, when it comes to collective security. So, you know, th that is something that we are constantly looking at uh, in terms of any perceived threats to the alliance, uh, of which the United States is, of course, a part of. Really, again, our focus from a U.S. standpoint, from a Department of Defense standpoint, is on working with Ukraine uh, and our allies and partners to ensure that Ukraine has what it needs to defend itself uh, and take back sovereign territory. And so uh, Wagner Group uh, has been a threat. It continues to be a threat, uh, obviously. Uh, it's been declared a um, a, a transnational criminal organization by the United States, and, and sanctions have been levied against members of the group uh, and facilitators. Um, but as it pertains to the future disposition or future actions of Wagner, that, that's, again, something I just can't speculate on. Okay. Thank you very much, General. I appreciate this. No problem. Thanks, JJ. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, What's Ukraine's response to what's going on in Russia? Baffled, JJ. Absolutely uh, knocked out, out of our minds. Yuri Sack, an advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Defense. For a long time, we've been saying this openly, that sooner or later, the amount of lies that Russian propaganda is spreading is going to result in some kind of internal uprising. You know, we've seen some partisan movements in like, Belgorod and in other parts of Russia, uh, but uh, uh, so essentially, when this mutiny by Prigozhin started, uh, I don't think we were like that surprised. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. 
That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.